Hello and welcome back to the second episode of Gut Health and Happiness with the Chuckling Goat Girls. I'm Sean Jones, founder and director of Chuckling Goat, along with my husband, Richard Jones, who is not here with us today, but I do have my two gorgeous grown-up daughters, Karis Colvin and Ellen Armstrong. Hello, ladies. Hi, gorgeous. <laughs> Just saying, this is like the first time I've talked to you since last week. We're actually going to have to do the podcast just to have an excuse to sit down. Yeah. Is it? I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Much. It's been incredibly, incredibly busy. I'm sure everyone's nuts like that. But I did, I did think last time, oh, this is really fun. I really enjoy it. I don't know if anybody else is liking it, but I'm just enjoying getting yeah. to chat with you guys because we don't. We all have families. We're all working. And it's very rare that we just get to sit down and sort of discuss. And yeah, I mean... Yeah. Ever? When do we ever do that? No, I know, especially yeah, I mean, with our babies running around. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, even out of lockdown, you know, when we had all our roast dinners on Sundays, I, we wouldn't just sit for a lengthy period of time and talk. We maybe get five minutes before we're interrupted by a child or by a pan boiling over or something. <laughs> There's always a lot going on. I miss it though. I'm really looking forward to when we can sit back mm. down to our. You are roast dinners. And just a quick little thing about roast dinners. Um, roast dinners are gut healthy. There's nothing wrong. You know, I hear um, people say sometimes or reading in the trashy magazines that I love, they go, oh, you know, roast dinners. Roast dinners are great. Roast dinners are loads of fiber, loads of veg. Of course, the Yorkshire pudding is probably not the best. <laughs> They're slightly, you know, simple carbohydrates, but that's okay. Everything else about a roast dinner is not a problem, especially if you make it from scratch. Yeah. As Rich does. <laughs> Not me, baby. That is that's my husband right there doing that cooking. Okay, we decided that we were going to uh, kind of pick one major topic a week and discuss that. So we'll use that as kind of a jumping off point. And the topic this week that we agreed on was kefir because it's the biggie. It's the main one. It's hard to get away from. It's sort of the central point of the gut health journey. But before we do that, I was just thinking, I wanted to ask you guys a question and I'll answer it myself first (laughs) since I'm going to throw this at you out of left field, no preparation. But the question that I was thinking was important to answer is what's the most important thing you've learned during your journey with this whole thing, gut health, chuckling goat, and so on. So while you're thinking, I'm going to, I'll answer, I'll, I'll answer my bit. Because if I had to sum it up, you know, the whole journey, having Rich get sick and having to figure out how to get him better. And then having Benji get sick and having to figure out how to get him better. I have learned that natural remedies solve the problem and they will solve the problem. I've learned faith. I have learned having faith in natural remedies. They work and they don't create more damage. And that's the bottom line. In all of the situations that I've been in, you know, Benj was taking antibiotics, which was damaging his microbiome, which was making his eczema worse, making his immune system worse. So he was getting more bronchial infections and he was going down a vicious spiral. And I think there's a lot of mothers can probably relate to that. You know, this is, this is really where we all started in, you know, my journey with Rich and our sort of thinking process around this whole thing is Benj was three years old and he was taking antibiotics every 
three or four months. He'd get a chest infection back to the doctor, more pills, another infection back to the doctor. And at that time, I didn't know anything about all the stuff we know now, had no idea. But what I did know was it was just wrong. I, you know, this little boy and just pumping all of these chemicals into him. And I could see that he was getting worse. Every time I took him back, he was getting worse. You just, as a mother, you can feel, you just go, mm, this is not right. And my feeling was very nonverbal and not sophisticated. It was just like, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, there, you know, there's that um, instinct. It's funny because I remember talking to both of you before you had kids and trying to explain that and, and, and just going, you'll know. Yeah. You'll just yeah. know. Well, how you, you said, how will I know? You, you just will. You just yeah. do, don't you? You just kind of, it's like a trigger goes up and you're like, hang on a minute. And it just happens all of a sudden when you become a parent. They're an, yeah, they're an extension of you. So I think that's how you manage to pick up on things so quickly. You know them so well because they're literally a part of you. So yeah, you right. definitely know. And you just know, and nobody can argue with that. You know, if somebody goes, oh, well, I don't think so. You're just like, no, mm -mm. Mm -hmm. it's not happening. This is not okay. You know, either this is good or this is not good. It's just that, it, that sense. I had that sense. Benji was taking too many antibiotics. That was bad. And I said to Rich, what are we going to do about this? And he said, let's get a goat. And I went, what? <laughs> because... I've just told you that our little boy is getting sick and you said, get a goat. And those things have nothing to do with one another, in my opinion. But I already figured out by that point that your dad is always right. It is so, it's one of the most annoying things about him when he's always right for some reason. And so I went, okay, a goat. And so we literally went from the doctor's surgery to see a man who had a goat and we bought that goat and we brought that goat back. Now, at the time, we were not keeping goats, but Rich knew that goat's milk was good for eczema, asthma, breathing conditions, and so on, because when you guys were little, he'd had goats mm -hmm. and yeah. you yeah. guys had goat's milk. So tell about that part, because I've never heard that part of the story. Um, I suffered quite a lot with eczema as a child, and I think asthma as well probably um, and I'm pretty sure I had a blue asthma pump or something as well um I distinctly remember just having warm goat's milk not all the time obviously but I can just remember now that warm taste of goat's milk in my mouth and certainly I don't like it warm like I did not I drank it um but I just remember tasting it kind of maybe for the first time literally straight from the from the goat um yeah like and then we'd have it cold luckily and I enjoyed it a bit more then so else did you have the goats were, were there goats when you were growing up yeah yeah so um I remember uh one of our old houses in Lois, which is only about 10 minutes down the road from here um and the goats were in one of the fields up by the house we didn't have vast amounts, certainly not the same amount as we have today. Um, but yes, I was really young, so I don't remember lots about it. I was quite lucky in that I didn't suffer from asthma or eczema, but we had goats, and so we all drank the goat's milk. Um, 
I do remember that dad made a little cart for the goats to tow along. That was fun. And Karen and I used to sit in the back of the cart and the goats would tow us around the field. That's one of my strongest memories from right back at the start when we had goats for the first time. Yeah, I remember that. Well, so he knew, and it's in the Welsh farming tradition, apparently, that goats has all of these good properties. It was news to me. And of course, because, so I'm American, I'm a journalist he's Welsh, he's a farmer. And those two things came together. I said, wow, this works. That's weird. (laughs) You know, giving Rich knew about the milk. We got the goat, we gave the milk to Benj. The chest infection stopped. The eczema cleared up. The bronchial phlegm went away. And I went, huh, that is really wacky. And so, because I'm a journalist, I went looking for the answer because it wasn't enough for me that it did work. I wanted to know why it worked. So I went looking for the research. I found the research. In fact, goat's milk does not have the A1 casein, which is what cow's milk has, which is what creates the allergic reaction in about 60% of adults and a huge amount of kids. Cow's milk is just not good for human beings. Who knew? I certainly didn't. So that was kind of the beginning of our journey. And at that point, I began to get really interested in this whole natural remedies. And in the Welsh tradition, there's a huge amount of information that we knew, you know, like the people who live on farms, people who live in connection with nature, people who grow up uh, in the, you know, with their hands in the dirt. As you said, the babies were playing in the mud earlier. Yeah, they were making mud pies this morning. So they've gone down for their naps early because it, totally tired them out um they were both eating it it's fine it's good with me that's fantastic eating dirt I mean eat dirt is the uh title of a great book by Josh Axe what we need to do to really get our microbiomes back in order is get back into the dirt the kids playing with the dirt eating the dirt growing our food it's it we've lost all that And in the cities where we're driving around in plastic boxes and sitting in front of plastic boxes and going home and watching plastic boxes, there's not a a lot of interaction with the dirt um, or the animals or or nature, frankly. And so what I began to learn is those, those bacteria are our old friends, the ones that are in the farm, in the animals, in the milk, in the raw milk. You know, that's the sort of bacterial uh, atmosphere in which we we evolve. We evolve to be in close symbiosis with those living microscopic beings. And we've fallen out of touch with them. We clean everything, we sterilize everything. And what we do is just kill off some bugs and make room for the nasty, bad, opportunistic bugs to jump back in there. We don't kill off the bad bugs. We just make room for the really bad bugs. It's like pulling up all the flowers in your garden and leaving the space open. What you're gonna get in there is weeds, the nasty opportunistic pathogens. That's how the immune system works. And I learned that from watching the compost heap. (laughs) As you do. You do, it seems a little weird, but we would muck out the goats and the muck goes onto the heap and the magic happens of these tiny invisible microbes breaking down all of that poo and straw and food and everything else into this 
gorgeous, rich fertilizer that looks like chocolate cake and smells nice. And I thought, wow, that's magic. That's as close to magic as I need to get. And when we started making the kefir, we had the goat's milk and then we put the grains in the goat's milk and the grains in the kefir performed the same activity that the microbes in the compost heap did, turning the dung into fertilizer, which in Wales they call dom. I was like, oh, more magic. Little invisible microbial beings taking something that starts out not so useful and making it into something magic. That's the microbial process of being probiotic, which means beneficial life rather than antibiotic, which is anti-life. <laughs> so instead of killing things off, we're supporting the good bugs. The good bugs are then suppressing the bad bugs and putting them back in their box. So that was kind of a rambly all over the place answer, but the, the, that's the important thing I learned from coming to the farm. Because in the city, I wasn't in touch with any of that. It was all news to me. And so when I got here and I learned about the ghost smoke, learned about the kefir, learned about the compost heap, learned about, learned about basically the importance, not even the importance, the crucial, critical significance of living bacteria and how they impact our lives and how when we don't look after them, we damage our own immune systems and then we're just screwed. You're screwed. If you don't have a good relationship with the microscopic world, you messed up. <laughs> And it's really hard to fix. So, and nature, being back in touch with nature taught me that. That the, that the most important element of your gut health is to understand and have a positive relationship with the microbes in your own gut, in the world around you. You need to start seeing and thinking about microscopic life because that at the end of the day is what's gonna determine your health. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, definitely. And on that point with you, Shan, explaining how important it is to have the relationship between, um, or to understand how important those tiny microbes are, your, your gut bugs. Um, I really, I need to get one. I don't know why I don't have it. Um, so, you know, The Critters Inside You, the children's book that you wrote, that, for me is the perfect way to describe it, not just for kids, um, but I think adults, to be honest, just yeah. because it puts it quite simply, um, I really need to get one. The critters inside you. Isabella's at the age where she's gonna love it. It's, you know, it just explains um, why gut health is so important and why you need to look after your gut bugs, because I don't think people really understand the concept or if they do, they assume that bugs or gut bacteria is not pleasant, not nice, and they don't kind of want to make that relationship when in reality, it's incredibly important that we understand them and that we do feel like there's a relationship there because that's what's going to make you care for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's kind of the, it's not just an education leap. It's almost a whole apple pie turnover thing. It needs to go upside down because we've always thought that bugs are bad. Yeah. You know, germs, like Dettol says, kills 99% of germs. Well, a germ is like a racist term for bacteria. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, that's, that's what you call 
Um, that's that's what you call bacteria to make it bad. Germ, kill it. And we have this real point and shoot um, mentality. You know, we do it with with people. You know, we go, you go into a new continent and basically point and shoot and kill whoever's there and take it over. And we've done the same thing inside our gut. We've gone into the gut and we go, let's kill this one. Let's kill that one. Let's kill this one. Well, we saw in Yellowstone Park, what happens when you start killing off, you know, random pieces of the ecosystem, the whole thing collapses. So making just, there's such a great point, Alice, making that move to seeing your gut bugs and that you're exactly right. That's why I wrote the book. Um, critters inside you because I wanted um, we, we hired this wonderful uh, local artist to do to paint the bugs and make them happy and I said give me uh, make them fun make them funny make them inter but you know make them sort of based on reality but like I want people to feel protective toward their gut bugs I want you to understand it's a it's a it's beautiful not bugs ick but bugs yay <laughs> celebrate your bugs and that's why I started talking about the Amazon rainforest so like imagine it like you know birds and bugs and bees and lizards and flowers you know and deer and tigers all inside your ecosystem in this wonderful biodiverse environment and it's your job to look after it you know you're the steward because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Kara, I bet you really agree with this. You will do things for people that you care about that you will never do for yourself. Oh, 100%. 100% to a T. <laughs> yeah, that kind of impulse to caretake. Yeah. If I say to you, okay, look, I'm going to hand you this little, um, you know, here's my aquarium full of precious fish and creatures and lobsters and anemones and everything. And I'm going away and you've got to look after this you know, you're protective toward that. That's your, it's your patch, you know, you got to take care of it. And that's what I want people to start feeling about their microbiome. It's yours to guard, to safeguard. And, and all of those bugs, they're at your mercy. Baby, you start eating sugar and bad stuff, you are pouring acid rain on them. And there's a picture in the, in the um, critters inside you like that with the, the little bugs with the umbrellas up like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that book. Yeah, that making that switch to perceiving your inner environment as something precious and fragile that you need to protect. Once you make that switch, it makes things a lot easier because otherwise, if you're going, well, you know, it's two o'clock and I'm tired and I really want to boost and I fancy some chocolate and why not? I want some and I'm going to have some and no one can say no. And you know, like I get a whole, I get it like everyone else, like, well, I'm going to, I deserve it. And I've worked hard and I'm going to have a treat. And, you know, you have, your brain does all these things. Right. But if yeah. I go, oh, my poor gut bugs, what do they need? They don't need Ferrara Rocher. <laughs> <laughs> they say they do, but they don't. They need, like, what do they need? They need a piece of Ezekiel bread. They need a hard boiled egg. They need a tangerine. They need, you know, a banana slightly yeah, on the yeah. green side because then there's no more fiber than sugar. So it's a different question, you know? Yeah. And as, as mothers, we're probably better at that because we're, you get used to doing that instead of like, what do I feel like doing? Well, I feel like putting my feet up and reading a magazine. <laughs> yeah. If only, I'd love that. Right? <laughs> what does my kid need? My yeah. kid 
go outside and play with mud and then needs to be cleaned up and they need to be put down for a nap. So yes. in service. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's what like the becoming of Chuck and Goat has taught me as well. It's kind of like have a better understanding of overall gut health. You know, beforehand it was all, oh, you know, try and eat five quarters of fruit and veg a day and all that. And yeah, I knew that was important, but now kind of I have a much better understanding of why exactly it's important. And I don't think a lot of people perhaps understand that fully, like Ellen said, you know, so we're told all the time, eat healthy, do this, do that, but no one really explains to you why that's important. That's definitely what kind of Chuck and Goat in general and Kiefer and things like that have really taught me is, is why it's important. But also I think not to be too hard on yourself as well, like not to kind of beat yourself up over the fact you have had that one piece of chocolate or that one bar of chocolate. We're all human and we all kind of slip or, you know, slip off the wagon or whatever they say. And it's not to beat yourself up about it, but it's to acknowledge why you've done it and perhaps that you've done it and then kind of try and improve after that kind of thing. That's, that's what I do to learn, I think. I think that's really important. I think we are all, I can think I could probably say this, perfectionists to some extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Fair. And I know, I mean, I struggle with that. I bet you guys do too. And perfectionism, I really have come to believe is the absolute enemy of progress. It's the enemy. It's the thing that keeps me from, you know, it stops me from doing anything because I think, oh, well, I'm not going to do it perfect. So better not do it at all. Or, oh, you know, now I'm not perfect. I, cause I've messed up. So I, I'll just give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's disastrous. And there, I think there are so many, particularly women um, that I talk to who are perfectionists. Mm. And because of that, it's just completely tying their hands and their feet and they're just not doing anything um, because if they can't get it right, they don't want to do it at all. And so, also it creates stress and stress is bad for your microbiome. So yeah, definitely don't be too hard on yourself and try to rid yourself of that perfectionism because it's impossible to attain. Um, and if anything, you're stressing yourself out, which is never a nice feeling, which means you're also um, stressing your microbiome out. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And brings us back neatly to the concept of kefir and how you take it and when you take it. And I think that, you know, back in the day, okay, so here I had this stuff. Nobody really knew what it was. People started drinking it, going, that's really tart. You know, I said, oh, blend up, blend up with some fruit. You'll be fine. Um, and I did just, I finally just came to the conclusion of, look, it's not a milkshake. Okay. It, this is not a recreational drink. This is something that you just need to get it down you because it's going to do good work for your gut bugs. This is not for your tongue. It's for your gut bugs. Um, And so once people started drinking it, then they were going, well, when do I take it? And I went, well, I don't know. Uh, So I did some research and found that one of the most important things about kefir has 27 different strains of live bacteria, which is why it's great because it goes into your microbiome which has been kind of wiped out by sugar, stress, antibiotics, environmental toxins, all the things we have all the time. And it puts those bugs back in. It literally is like a seed bomb of the Amazon rainforest and just, you know, reforesting, replenishing, rediversifying 
<laughs> it's like a wildlife release project, you know, putting the good stuff back out because modern life is crushing the, bad, the good stuff all the time. Um, so lactobacillus is one of the most important strains. There are six different kinds of lactobacillus in the kefir. Lactobacillus is very sort of physically um, active and it goes out like a good leader, like a good mother and makes it nice for everyone else. It's like a nursemaid bacteria that makes the environment good and safe and so that diversity can occur. Um, so, and it physically does that inside your intestine. It physically, like it's like planting so many flowers that the weeds can't get a look in. Okay, great. So uh, it also boosts your energy. Cool. So I thought, okay, well, morning, not night, because why drink it before bedtime? Because then you're gonna run around. <laughs> and then uh, if it, it wants to physically adhere to your intestine, so you should have it before you eat other things because then it has a clear run at your intestine. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I said, first thing in the morning before breakfast. Now, over, over time, that has become like graven in stone. And so people are like, oh, oh no, I, I had something and now I can't have my kefir. Or, oh my goodness, I can't have my kefir because I had, you know, can I blend it with oatmeal again? And I'm like, yes, it's fine. <laughs> just, just have it. Just take yeah. it. Just take it. Like yeah. taking it better than not taking it. And when I made the first determination of how to take it. It was based on, it boosts your energy, so have it early rather than late. Yeah. It's good to, it's, you know, it's fine. The kefir will do its work. It's just, if it has a clear run of your gut, it doesn't have anything else to compete with. But it's yeah. still, even if you put it with oatmeal or, you know, blend it up or take it in the, I mean, take it in the middle of the night if you want to, but it might boost your energy. So that goes back to the perfection point. Like, yeah, definitely. The natural remedies are kind of forgiving. Like you can work them into your lifestyle and you just have to find a way that works for you. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys talk to a lot of customers who are freaking out about those fine points of how to yes. take, when to take the kefir? Yeah, I had someone on live chat last night actually. Um, and she starts work early at eight o'clock, which we do too. Um, and she said, I, there's just absolutely no way that I'll be able to take my kefir in the morning. Um, it's just not going to work for me. So I think she felt like that's it. There's, she can't take kefir. The project is just not for her. Um, I said, just work it into your routine. That's fine. Whenever next best suits you. If you can take it first thing, fantastic. Otherwise, at the next best time. Um, you know, I think last week I didn't take my kefir in the morning and I took it when we sat down at 11 o'clock after I'd had breakfast, after I'd had a cup of tea, et cetera. It's fine. Um, the important thing is getting it in you. Exactly. And that's what I say to a lot of people. I say, some kefir is better than no kefir. You know, like some people can't tolerate the full amount. That's yeah. fine. But at least have some kefir. And it's the same with like, I don't know, you know, George, perhaps my husband, like, finds it quite strong so start him off slow and things because as long as there's some getting into your system it's better than having nothing at all and that's my kind of motto to customers now is some is better than none exactly right yeah couldn't agree more and and I'm finding that I'm telling people a lot these days consistency and I'm saying your gut bugs are like children or like animals they want regularity consistency you know your your ecosystem wants to be in homeostasis so 
I found a cool article that says that your gut bugs are almost like um, dogs. You know, when they know the master's coming home, they start to get excited. So like, if you have, if you eat at the same time every day, before that time, they start to like get active, <laughs> they get ready. Yeah. And then if you, don't, if you don't eat at that time, then they're like, oh, and they get all disappointed. <laughs> so the best thing you can do for your gut bugs is get yourself just like a kid, right? Does this sound familiar? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mothers of toddlers, um, routine, routine, routine. Get yourself to bed at a reasonable time and try to do the same time every night. In a perfect world, your gut bugs want you to go to bed at 10 and wake up at six. Okay, we don't do it. We all know we don't do it, but that's the idea. That's the diurnal schedule, like as close as you can. And then, and then stay on that schedule over and over and over. And they get accustomed to that. They start functioning better and then eat at a regular time. Ideally, five times a day, five small meals. Hmm, hard to do, especially if you're sort of pegging around other people. But if you, or, or have three meals, but try to have them at the same time. It's this eating all over the place, grabbing something here and there. Your gut bugs are trying to, it's their job to digest. And so they're, they're like, oh no, okay, okay, what, what? And you're sort of, you're always catching them, you know, wrong footed. So like routine, stability, security, all, organisms are the same. This, this is the other one of the other things I've learned from the farm. Like it's not complicated. If you can take care of a, a, a kitten or a puppy or a baby, you can take care of your gut bugs because it's all the same. Here's how to take care of a living creature. Love it, feed it, don't poison it. That's it. That's pretty simple. That's all we got. Um, do you guys have are there any uh, questions from customers that, have, that you think are relevant to the discussion? I today? actually do, yeah, based on the kefir. So we had one from Matthew, um, and this is something that we did briefly touch on, Sean. So I'm finding the taste really tart. What do you recommend to help make your kefir easier to drink? That's something we get all the time. Yeah, all we the get time that a lot, question. especially like, I've had quite a few recently, like they want their children to start drinking it and things. And they're like, you know, they're not going to want to even put it close to their lips and things like that. So it's finding out what fruits and things they like as well, isn't it? And trying to just approve it like, slightly. Mm -hmm. So what do you tell them, Kara? What, what kind of advice do you give? I just say try and combine with fresh fruit, you know, banana, um, raspberries and things like that. And, and just say it's a smoothie, you know, get them involved as well especially if they're old enough to choose for themselves, give a selection of fruits and just add it all in. You know, they'll love that, mixing it up and blitzing it up and things. Um, yeah, because that's what I usually tell them is get them involved and use as many fruits as you can in an experiment, really. Mm -hmm. And kids love doing things by sight and by touch. So if something's looking like really red and then something else is really pink, then they're like, yeah, I'm going to use both of those. And that's nice. And we should all be choosing our food in that way. Um, because usually that's what's good for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm, as you know, I'm always into the science behind these things, but those, the colors, the reason why we say eat a rainbow is because those are phytonutrients. So the colors actually have specific uh, things that are beneficial for you. And if we would all shop that way and go into the fruit and veg aisle, like it was, you know, Willy Wonka's factory and go, ooh, red, yellow, green, there's something purple and pick those things that visually excite you. 
and then put those into your smoothie, that's a brilliant way to give your body what it needs and use that kind of information. You know, you have information inside your system that you're not tapping. Everybody does. We've, we've kind of gotten away from our intuition because we turn all the power over to the you know people in the white coats who tell us what to do. But you do know if you walk down that aisle, something will catch your eye and you go, oh, yellow. I need that. And, and, and your body is giving you information. Your gut bugs control your cravings through your vagus nerve. And so if you get them in good nick by feeding the good ones, if you're just eating sugar all the time, they will crave sugar because you've killed off the good ones. And this is what's in the, the critters inside your book. You've killed off the good ones and you've grown the bad ones. The sugar loving ones, they're great because they're getting fed all the time. And the broccoli loving ones are like, dying in the corner so you will crave more of what you eat you've got to suppress that then and there's a tough period for about three weeks where you go okay guys i we are all in constellation here we're living in cooperation but i'm the big one and i am i control the mouth <laughs> i'm gonna make the decision for all of us to say on the chocolate and more of the different colored veg and fruit and fibers and things like that. Three weeks, it's going to be really hard because what you're doing is altering the population inside your gut. You're suppressing the baddies that like the mm -hmm. sugar and they will punish you. They actually release something into your system that's a chemical that is the same as a weapon of mass destruction. That's true. It is a, like a neurochemical weapon and it can make you sweaty, uh, shaky, headache, nauseous. That's your gut bugs. Your sugar-loving gut bugs are actually controlling you through your vagus nerve, torturing you, trying to make you eat more sugar. It's not nice. No. But then they finally die. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do. They, they only live 20 minutes. So if you sort of, you control the mouth, you live longer than they do. That's the advantage you have. And so you have to sort of consciously suppress the bad guys, boost the good guys. And then you will find that you start to crave the things that are healthy. Yeah. You know, I started eating this um, the this buckwheat porridge. I really like it. We're going to talk about fiber next week, actually. Fiber and prebiotics. We can talk more about this. I, I crave buckwheat porridge. How weird is that? I think I know some people and um, some of my friends, for instance, and they're like, why, why do you like, choose a salad? Why do you opt for new potatoes instead of chips when we're at a restaurant? like two years ago when we used to be able to eat out um and I'm not doing it because I want to be healthy and like oh I just think it's the best thing for me I do it because I prefer those foods I literally prefer them they taste nicer to me um and I think that's because I have been feeding my good gut bugs and that's what I want that's genuinely what I want don't get me wrong I do love some chocolate occasionally but not to the point where I've overfed my bad bacteria. So now they're just going sugar, 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 sugar all the time. I can eat a bit of sugar and I, I'm, I'm fine. That's, I'm happy. But then the following day or a couple of hours later, my good bugs are like, oh, I'd really like an apple. I genuinely like that food. I think because I've always tried to feed the good bacteria or at least um, especially since, since starting at Chuckling Goat. Definitely, yeah. The girls say to me, they're like, that's such a care meal. That's such a care dish. That's such a, oh, I knew you'd go for something like that because they just know that, well, I just love salad and things like that anyway. Yeah. But they're always like, such a care thing. <laughs> We've got it, so we've got title now. I'm, 
I'm, I wasn't particularly a, a salad person. I'm not one of those lucky people who just loves all the good stuff. I've had to really work to get over that barrier. Mm. So I can say, hand on heart, that you can actually get yourself to the point where your cravings are helping you rather than harming you. It, yeah. you, have to, you have to use your intention. I've had to use my intention um, because you, know, you have to get over that hump. But once you get over that hump and you, you, you suppress the bad bugs, get the good bugs behind you, then it gets easier. So I think it's, it can be really difficult when people are being hounded by their cravings. It's interesting talking to you guys. I'm um, getting more and more clear on how similar it is taking care of your gut bugs is to taking care of children. Mm, like right. you create the rod for your own back. Yeah. Mm. Right. If <clears throat> you have this relationship, you know, with your kid, you indulge the kid, let the kid do whatever it wants. Let it stay, uh, let it stay up all night, feed it nothing but chocolate cake, you know, nothing but E numbers you're going to have a nightmare on your hands and everyone is going to pay the price. And you, that kid will be running around, ripping down the curtains, causing chaos. And you'll be like, ah, what have I done? Yeah. And, and, but you did that one stage at a time, you know, it takes, um, I don't know, what, what are the elements like that are similar? Um, like, I don't know, firm, but fair. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the firm but fair thing, because I think firm but fair also means that you do allow treats occasionally. Yeah. That's that's the fair part, isn't it? You're being fair. Um, but then the firmness is, as we dis um, discussed last week, 80% of the time you need to be firm, um, you need to eat well, and then 20% of the time you can treat yourself. And it's the same with children. Okay. Maybe occasionally um, your little one does stay up late watching movies and that's the treat. And mm. then the next day they don't. It's back to bedtime at seven o'clock yeah. um, because that's, that's how life works, isn't it? It's a little bit of give and take. Mm -hmm. 100%, like I had a massive sweet tooth, massive sweet tooth, as I'm sure you will remember, craving chocolate, sweets, anything I could get my hands on. And you've just got to get your body used to not having that and kind of just putting the foot on the brake and being like right hang on a minute you're not getting away with this you're not having what you want kind of thing and like you said being firm but fair um I'm loads better now I'm not gonna lie I do have chocolate on occasions I do have sweets I do have my weak moments um but like I said before it's just acknowledging that isn't it and just being firm and fair really yeah and Kiefer is a great ally to get through that process. Mm. The thing is, if you, you're having those cravings and you're struggling with those cravings and you're going to have to turn that around, you're going to have to enter this, go, okay, I've got at least three weeks here. It's going to be tough. The Kiefer helps with that, I find. It helps suppress the cravings. Um, it helps because it's putting a bunch of good bugs in your system all at once. So it kind of gives you a fresh start you know, and, and, and helps you turn that around. The other thing I find really helpful is uh, increasing good fats. So if you're trying to make good food choices, if you're just denying yourself everything and you're not having enough good fats, uh, you are going to have that feeling, that kind of needy, like, ooh, craving, ooh, where is it? I got to have it. And then you're going to fall. So I like to do um, preemptive eating, like eat at times when you decided that you're going to eat, that are good to eat. Think ahead and prepare the food. Make sure that the food has a lot of fiber and make sure that there is some good fats in there. 
mm. flaxseed oil. I have a tablespoonful of it in my uh, gut health smoothie every morning. If I don't, like, and that makes me feel full. It makes me feel satisfied. It had, there's just a feeling of like contentment and fullness. And it's like, okay, I'm good. I don't have that searchy, restless, mm. craving kind of feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm. yeah I know that feeling. Yeah, once you, and, and then if you, you know, okay, I'm going to have a snack at 11 o'clock. I got some walnuts um, and I'm going to have them and I'm going to have some carrots because that sounds nice. I'm, and then I'm going to eat again. Um, I mean, every three hours, it's ideal. So, but, but don't be surprised when you're hungry. I think people go, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, uh, I'll go to the vending machine. Well, yeah. you know what you're going to find in the vending machine and it's not going to be good for your gut bug. So prepare something for yourself the way that you do for a toddler. Definitely. See, we're back to the theme, right? You've got to like, your gut bugs are going to be hungry in about three hours. What are you going to give them? If you take the kids, the babies out to the park and you know you're going to be there, you don't go without snacks, do you? No, definitely not. Don't dare do that. Have a massive meltdown on our hands. Can you no, imagine? We got to turn around and go back. You, you prepare. Yeah, for sure. I definitely eat better when I've prepared in advance, or at least I know in my head what I can eat next. Um, all right, not everybody has the time to meal prep everything, but you have an idea or you at least have those foods in your house, in your cupboard, ready to go. So you've got the nuts, you've got avocados, you've got fruit and veg, as opposed to a cupboard full of just chocolate and crisps. Because if it's not like you can't just grab it, then yeah, totally. You're going to go for the packet of crisps because it's easier. Mm. So I do find if I have that type of thing in my house, which we do, um, and I've prepped somewhat, then I'm more likely to stay on the straight and narrow. So when I go into the office, because we're all working from home at the moment, but one day a week we go into the office. When I go in, I have all my little Tupperware boxes. I've got my nuts and grapes for the morning break. And then I've got my salad uh, with cold meat, et cetera, for lunch. And then I've got an afternoon break as well, because otherwise, 100%, I'm going up to the shop. And what am I going to find at the shop? Probably a sandwich, maybe, but that's made with white bread or a Mars bar. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we know where they are. They're right by the door. Yeah, they're right yeah. there. So I do try to prep. I think that's important. I think that's a great that's a great way to put it. And I would actually go so far as to say you haven't got time not to prepare. Mm. If you, you leave the house without something prepared, preparing for your gut bugs the way you would prepare for your toddler, yeah. you will be met by the outside world. And the outside world is full of processed food, crisps, sugar, cow dairy, you know, none of which are going to be your friend. So mm -hmm. I think preparation is key. Um, Kara, you have some really great recipes and, and you've done some um, nice sort of things that are then easy to grab and easy to eat. Have you got any good recipes for us today? Well, one of our favorites, like the whole family, um, is towel. So traditional Welsh towel. And I just find it so easy as a mum of two young kids to just prepare and cook. Um, use the leftover bones and meat from the roast dinner, you know, like whatever you have. And I'm a, I have to have a roast dinner every Sunday. So I'll always have leftover bones and meat, even the leftover veg you can use as well. And then just whatever veg I have in the house. Sometimes I don't even bother peeling the veg because, you know, all the peels 
you can eat the peel high in fiber. So just chop them up roughly, chuck it all into a pan and let it simmer away. It's so easy to just kind of leave and crack on with another job. Have it for lunch, have it for supper, have it leftovers. I know like second time warmed, it's a lot nicer, I find personally. But it's just so quick and easy and you can use whatever you've got veg-wise in the house. Um, and everyone enjoys it. And it's a good way to get loads of vegetables into the kids as well. <laughs> Welsh cow, amazing. Will you um, write up a recipe and put it in the comments? Yeah, I will share it below as well so everyone can have a look at that. Fantastic. And for people who haven't ever done it before, um, like what kind of veg? What, you know, which, which veg? Where? Oh. I use new potatoes, um, carrots, parsnips, sweets, leek. You have um, to have leeks in a cowl, I'm just saying. Exactly. If there's no leeks, it is not a cowl. You know, you could put frozen peas, frozen sweet corn, literally whatever kind of root vegetables and things that you have at home, you can, you can put in, basically. And then what I do is put the bones, keep the meat on, put the leftover meat bones, into a pan of water, let them simmer, um, and you have all that lovely flavor from the bones and the meat and pick the meat off then and save the water. Yeah, the juice. And do, so do you do, do you do your meat and bones separately to the veg, yeah. put them together? Meat and bones first, save the broth, pick the meat off, and then add all the vegetables to that, to that meat broth then. It, lots of collagen. Lots of collagen, Els, tell about the collagen. I am 30 now, so I need it. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Tell about collagen, Elle, since you brought it up. Um, basically, slowly but surely, your body naturally produces less and less collagen. Um, and collagen is, yeah, <laughs> collagen, as we all know, is fantastic for your skin and your hair and your nails, but really, really good for your gut. It helps to heal the gut's lining. So it's fantastic stuff. Um, and yeah, as your body produces less, it's important that you start supplementing. So mm -hmm. with care, um, talking about the cowl, you would find collagen in that broth because you've boiled up the bones. Mm -hmm. um, but understand that that's not always easy for everybody. Not everybody has time to make their own broth. Um, hence why you can get it in a supplement in powder form usually. And I'm a big fan these days of a fish supplement of collagen that is made from the skin and bones of fish that would otherwise just be discarded. So it's a very sustainable process, um, mixes in and doesn't, it doesn't taste fishy, which is the good news. So that's really good. We'll, we will actually be talking about that. Um, we'll, we'll do another uh, whole se segment on that because I think the collagen is really important. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, that was fun. I have to say, I haven't talked to you guys. It's such length, probably for a long time. I'm really enjoying this. I hope other people are too. All right. Well, next time um, let's talk about prebiotics. Cause I think a lot of people are confused between probiotic and prebiotic. What is a prebiotic? Why does it matter? Why do you care? What can it do for you? If you're already taking kefir, why do you need to think about a prebiotic? Isn't it just job done? No. And we will tell you, I'll explain that to you more next time. Um, Right. Anything else? Have I forgotten anything? Left anything out? 
Oh, I did want to say, because we were talking about the sweet tooth thing so much um, and improving the flavor of kefir with fruit and blending it into a smoothie, which is awesome. But if you really have a sweet tooth, 100% pure stevia. Yeah, excellent yeah. point. And you're not going to find it in Tesco because it's not 100% pure. But the, I do have 100% um, pure stevia clickers and I put one of them in my tea and, and I like it. Um, I don't use it in my... Uh, kefir but I used to sweeten it for Benj and and that made it easier for him to drink yeah great point okay well hope you enjoyed this episode of gut health and happiness with the chuckling goat girls and we'll look forward to seeing you guys again next time so long ladies